start this thing, all right? Uh, have you guys seen the graphic, Free to Sin? Have you guys seen that? Yeah? Oh, my goodness. It's, it's going to be a blast. We have, uh, I think, five weeks on this topic. Um, we will conclude this, this series with a Q&A because I'm sure you guys are going to have some fun with that. So uh, on the last week, you guys get to ask me, you know, is it okay for us to uh, drink alcohol? Can you smoke? I mean, what is, you know, is it different if you cheat on your wife or if you look at an image and you cheat on your wife in your heart? Are they the same thing or not? Was Jesus serious or was he kidding? <laughs> I mean, let's all hope he was kidding. Okay. Um, here's a good one if you're brave. If we all moved to Colorado and it's legal to smoke Mary Jane, would that be a sin? Hey, these are good questions, okay? And uh, if you guys want to make me sweat, uh, you, you should ask those. Again, if you guys have questions, you guys can fill them out in the inserts, uh, in the grace notes, and uh, put those in the joy box. But this morning, um, with five weeks on this topic, I'm really trying to kind of be careful. I don't want to unpack it too much because obviously we have a lot of weeks to cover. So in essence, this morning, what we're going to do is just kind of cover the... the what is sin, I guess? You know, what is this thing? Uh, you, you know, a sin, it's one of those things where I think we've all experienced sin. I think we can all see the effects of sin. But if, when you really get down to it, what, what is this thing? I mean, like, what really is sin? Is sin a state of the heart? Is sin an action? Uh, is sin a, a, a place that we're at, if you would? Um, a sinful orientation to God. What is sin? Uh, the worship song, which we ended with, we sang it for about five minutes. I'm sure you guys are like, this is great, but I'm getting tired just a little bit. Okay. Here's how it went. It said, all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Now, when you're singing that, you know, it's this, it's a pretty kind of a grand statement, Right? All the earth, I mean, everything in all the earth, all the people, all the created things, everything will be praising God because of what he's done. And I think sometimes with, with these songs, you know, sometimes we sing them and we have no idea what in the world is we're singing. One of the questions that I ask, and again, you know, the way that my brain works, I see that and I go, why are they praising him? Did anyone, no one else asked that. Well, because he's God, Devin. We're praising him because he's God. No, but why? I mean, why is all the earth going to praise him? Is all the earth, you know, responding with song and, you know, celebration and dancing because he's just God? Or has he done something? Is there a reason? Is he, is he forcing us? Is he kind of snapping his, thing, his finger and everyone just automatically begins to sing? Or are we choosing to sing? Is, is, is this something that's just going to happen, whether we want it to or not? Or is it something that we're going to choose to respond in? Right now, we have millions of people in this country who are looking for a Savior. Millions of people see one man to be the savior, and they are excited to see what could happen if this man gets control of the country. He could fix everything. And there are other people who believe that this woman 
is the same thing. If she could just get authority, if she could just be in place to where she can set the order of things, then she would make everything right and fix everything. And so because of this, this hope, this idea that someone could make things right, we champion them. We celebrate them. We defend them. We are... We advocate for them. We get excited. We cheer. We, we argue. We yell. I mean, you know, we post on Facebook, right? Because we have a hope. We believe that if this person is able to have control, they will make everything the way it needs to be. Things will be made right. Now, this is the heart of understanding sin. Sin is the idea that the way that things are supposed to be are not the way things are supposed to be. That the Jews, they had this term called shalom. And it didn't just mean peace or um, meaning a lack of problems. What shalom meant was that everything was in proper order. It's hard with the microphone because I can't speak with my hands. If you see this, I'm doing this number. Okay. So with one hand, it means everything is, is the way it's supposed to be, okay? So when, when, when God's shalom is in place, everything is set the way it should be. There is no death. There's no violence. There's no murder. There's no rape. There is no end to life. There is only goodness. Because when God is the one in the seat of control, when he gets to set the order of things, he sets everything right. He sets everything back to shalom. Shalom is like the reset button. And what happens with the gospel is that we have this hope as Christians that there really is no one else who's able to set things right. But there is a time coming when the one person who can set everything right will. And Jesus is the one who's going to be able to restore order, to restore shalom, to where everything is not just peaceful. It's not just that there's a lack of violence or a lack of war. It's that everything is made perfect. Everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. This is why all the earth and all the heavens and all you know, things that have breath will praise God because of what he has done when he sets everything right. Now, this is where the idea of sin comes in. Now, sin is, 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 is not, how you put this? When Jesus comes and restores the earth, sin is not the only thing that needs to be fixed. Okay, he's going to restore all things, okay? But sin is a, is a major part of what is wrong and off with the world. But sin is, in essence, Let's open up our scriptures. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read about the first sin. Okay, so when did sin actually first show up in scripture? As you guys are turning there, I want to explain this to you. Understand this. Understand that for humans, existence for us as humans, it, it hinges on relationship. Meaning everything that you do in your life is connected to relationships. Everything. It is impossible to isolate yourself. Every single action of yours affects someone in some way. 
No man has the ability to fully be isolated, to be fully contained. There's no thought or emotion or action you could make that doesn't affect someone else. You are, in essence, we mirror God in the way that he is completely relational. In Genesis 1, the first thing that we learn about creation, the first thing that we learn about God is this. In the beginning was what? In the beginning was God. You guys are quoting John. I was quoting Genesis. You guys are still right, okay, because, you know, the word is still God. So, you know, you're, everyone's like, oh, no, that's not right. In the beginning was God. And the first thing that we see God doing is what? Talking to himself. Awesome. <laughs> right? You're like, uh, yeah, awesome. Who is this God? What's he like? Well, the first thing you have to understand about God, he loves to talk to himself. If I were to say, hey, here's, a, here's this awesome person to get to know. But you know what the first thing to know about himself? He talks to himself all the time. You'd probably say, not going to make friends with that guy. But the one thing that we see with God is that he is relational. His very nature is to relate to himself and to other beings. And so the first thing we see God doing is we see this interlocking relationship that he has with himself. And the next thing that we see God doing is we see him extending his circle, if you would. We see him opening up the circle of relationship and beginning to let people and things into it. So what he does is he creates this universe, he creates this planet, and then he creates this being. Because he's already created things, he's already created trees and, you know, and, and sea and, and, and time and gravity and all these other things. But what he does is he creates this being. And this being is different from every other created thing because this being is created to be a part of this interlocking relationship of God, which we call the Trinity. And so from... Genesis 1 and 2, we see that, that foundationally everything about man is connected to relationships. I, I uh, found this very interesting because I think whenever we think about sin, we often think of it legally, if you would. It's almost like sin is like whenever we jaywalk. Everyone's like, no, I haven't heard jaywalk. Whenever we steal something, whenever we... Curse. Whenever again, it's almost like this, this, this fence. And sin is any time that we jump the fence. Oh, right there, you cross the line. That's sin. And and what happens with this idea of sin is it becomes very individual. So sin is just about me and the actions I do that affect me. But in Genesis, the first sin takes place in context of relationship. So what we see in in chapter three of Genesis. Oh, boy, we got some reading to do. Um, we see here the serpent shows up. It says that he's the most cunning of all the animals. And then we see that he begins to attack the character of God. And right here, verse 3, he says, But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's go ahead and pause right there. 
one of the first kind of accusations, one of the first ways that sin is starting to creep um, into creation is that he is trying to convince Eve that she has not already been made like God. What did we just learn about man? We learned that God was made in whose image? I mean, man was made in whose image? God was made in our image. Let's be careful with that one, right? So we see that from the beginning, we were created in God's image. And the first thing that we learned about God is what he's relational. And, and so the first thing that, that we learn about man and God before sin is that we were brought into this circle of relationship. We've already been given the ultimate gift of Godhood. No, we're not God, but we are now allowed to participate in the relationship of God, which has been going on for who knows how long it's been going on. We've, they had already been given this, but yet the first accusation of Satan was trying to undermine this trust. And so, of course, we all understand what, what happens here when it's saying that uh, he, he convinces Eve to eat the fruit. She eats the fruit. And, of course, Adam blames it on Eve. We all know how that goes. And then when God comes back, the first thing he finds, he finds them hiding from him. They're hiding from him. Now, you know, it's difficult to, to hold back. There's so much in this passage. But we're going to save it for um, later weeks. Here's the first thing again. What is broken here is relationship. Understand that here... There was no fence around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was no armed guards. He didn't set angels to guard it. He had this tree right in the center of this garden. And he told them, here's the only thing that's off limits for you. But I'm not going to keep you from it. And the reason for that is, it's going to show us the very nature of sin. Sin is not about us breaking laws or about us uh, stepping beyond bounds or about us doing things that causes God to run away from us. If you're taking notes, here's something. Sin, foundationally, is about breaking relationship. And what happens here with the first sin, the first sin that man ever commits, is he breaks relationship with the Creator. This is, this is what happens in the Garden of Eden. Now, if that doesn't make sense to you, uh, you know, we've been talking about the gospel, about the, the Apostle Paul's teaching, and he's always, he's always trying to use this word, reconciliation. I'm trying to, in Jesus, God is reconciling, bringing back together that which was separated. What was separated was the relationship, the, the way that we relate to God. Now, it's going to make some more sense as we keep going. Understand this. Sin is both something that breaks relationship, and sin is also something that comes out of broken relationship. I'll explain this way. If you're married, okay, most times someone uh, chooses to cheat on their spouse. They are not cheating on their spouse to break their relationship. They are cheating because their relationship is what? Already broken. Do you see that? Now, when they cheat, what's going to happen? It's going to further separate the two parties, right? But something was already broken to cause or to allow the one person to break their relationship in the first place. It, was, it had already been broken. These outward things that we see that we call sin, these actions, right? Uh, 
lusting, stealing, pride, all these different things, these are but the weeds that, that, that show up on the surface. Uh, this is Arkansas, and we have some weird weeds. So my lawn, okay, if I let it go for two weeks, these weird corn-looking stalks will start to rise from the, the ashes and will be about this tall in about two weeks. <laughs> Who has that word like corn grass? Anybody else? Okay. And so it gets like this tall. Now, what's amazing about the corn grass, once it grows, it is the ugliest, most difficult thing to get out. Your weed eater will not touch that thing. You have to get down there and rip it out. What's amazing to me is that that huge, thick stalk was under the ground for weeks and months and years without being seen. Until the moment that I stopped tending to it, what happens? It pops up. It didn't just emerge. It had been under the surface for a very long time. This is the way sin works. These things that we think sin are, when you think of sin as laws, as, okay, we'll see, I'm in trouble because I lied the other day. I'm in trouble because I looked at pornography the other day. I'm in trouble because I cursed. Whatever it is, okay? I'm in trouble because, I, you know, I got drunk. These weeds that rise to the surface, this is a problem, but it's not the root of the problem. What's underneath it is broken relationship. Now, in the Garden of Eden, the three most important relationships are made clear to us. The first relationship the man has is man to who? To God, right? The first relationship that Adam has to learn is his relationship to God. And again, we're going to break this down more in the next weeks. The second relationship is with himself. He has to understand who he is. And so what happens with Adam is the first thing that Adam gets is he gets to relate to God. He gets to walk with God in the garden. The second thing he gets is he gets identity. He gets a job and responsibility. Your job is to take care of all this. And the third thing he gets is another human to relate to, neighbor. Now, this is very interesting because when Jesus comes and Jesus is asked about the law, what's his answer? He summarizes the entire law with what? Relationship. The entire law can be kept with these two things. Love the Lord your God with what? Everything in you. Make this relationship right. And then secondly, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Make that relationship right. And included in that, of course, is identity and self. You cannot love your neighbor until you love God and know who you are in relationship to God. That's a whole other series. Sin is foundationally about relationship, and until you get that, you will always misunderstand sin. You misunderstand how to fight sin, and you misunderstand God's heart towards you when you sin. If you're taking notes, you should get that one. If you don't understand that sin is about relationship, you will never properly understand sin. And you will never understand who God really is. Now, I don't know where we go from there. All right, if you guys are taking notes, here's what sin is. Sin is its opposition to the will and order of God, okay? So sin is any place of action or intention. Okay, so action is something you do, right? So you're going to kick tonight. Okay. All right, guys. No Karate Kid fans out here? Nothing? Okay. Okay. 
And an action is something that you do, right? It's, it, it's this thing that you choose to commit. It's this thing that your body is involved in, okay? But it's, it's, it's in any way that we resist or oppose the will of God through action or intention. Now, intention is, is something that can be sitting under the surface. It's the state of our heart. It's what we truly desire in the deepest part of us. So before I ever punch someone in the face, there's intention that rises up in my heart. Does that make sense? Before I ever do the action of sin, there is intention. Before the weed ever comes from the ground, there's something underneath that's starting to cause it to grow. And so sin, again, as you understand sin, understand it starts with the intentions of the heart. One of the reasons that, that Christians historically have been so terrible at learning to deal with sin is they've only focused on the actions of sin. So they've tried to figure out all these different ways to keep people from cheating on their spouses, to keep people from murdering people, to keep people from stealing. And so we find all these ways to, you know, to try to change it. But here's the issue. The issue is that it, it doesn't matter what you do on the surface. You can mow the lawn every day of the week. But the moment that you stop mowing that lawn, that thing's going to come right back up unless you do what? Unless you begin to treat it under the surface the roots. And Jesus is the one who addresses this idea, right? So when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's speaking to these crowds of people who are, who are regarded as sinless, which is something that we don't understand. Understand this. Understand that whenever he's speaking to the Pharisees, they are regarded as sinless because their actions, they have not committed any sin. They have not broken the law. They have not crossed the line in any action. But he catches them on something else. He reveals that the issue is not what they've done. It's what they intend to do in their heart. And so he makes those scary statements, right? He says, well, you've heard it said that anyone who cheats on their wife is guilty of adultery. But I'm here to say anyone who's lusted after any other woman in their heart is guilty as the same. Because it doesn't matter if you mow your lawn all day long, if the intention is there, if you allow the weeds to stay in the soil it's as good as if it's risen to the top. All you've done is try to hide what's really inside. And so what happens with a lot of us this morning who, who have had battles with sin is that we have been taught how to keep the lawn looking nice. But we've never been taught how to remove the weeds from the soil, how to pull the roots out of our hearts. And so what happens is everything looks great and everyone thinks you're doing great, but when you're having that bad day, that bad month, that bad year, you forget to mow the lawn. And what's really there rises to the top. Now, if you guys have your Bibles, I just want you guys to see it. Again, I know we've gone here a million times, but I just want you to see it. Uh, Mark 12, verse 28. I want you guys to be able to put that down in your notes as well. This is one of the most important uh, passages of Scripture about understanding how we relate to God in Christ. I just mentioned it, but let's go ahead and read it. One of the teachers of the law came, and he heard them debating. Now, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That sounds great, but if you were sitting in the audience, would you not be a little bit kind of like, okay, so God, okay, so when it comes to all the sins that, you know, are there, you're telling me the worst one is what? To not love God. I would have expected murder. No? You? Rape, maybe? Hello? I mean, come on, let's be honest. What they were asking for is which transgression, which action, which law is the worst? Because the way that we understand sin is in law, right? So if you jaywalk, who's jaywalked? That is a crime, my friend. A bunch of criminals in this church. By definition, you are a lawbreaker. I mean, let that sink in for a second. Really? How many years in prison have you served for that? Okay. Now, I don't think anyone in this room has murdered someone. Now, again, I mean, I could be wrong, and if that's the truth, I don't want to know who you are. <laughs> okay. If you were to do that and to get caught, the odds are you would serve more prison time for that than jaywalking, right? We have a very different understanding of sin. It's a, it's a scale, if you would. What's so difficult about Jesus is that he takes the scale and he levelizes it. And he says, what you are missing is that sin was never about the actions. It was never about the transgression. Sin was never about trying to keep you away from the tree. The heart of God was never to keep man away from the tree. The heart of God was that man would trust God. You are not a good spouse because you go 30, 40 years and don't cheat on your spouse. That doesn't make your marriage amazing or healthy. It makes you not a cheater. Congratulations. Your bar is really high. You are a great spouse when you have a great what? Relationship. What happens is, if you are to spend all your energy trying not to cheat on your spouse, you might be successful at that. You might go 45, 50 years and not cheat on your spouse, but you might have a terrible marriage. On the other hand, if you spend 40, 50 years with all your heart and might trying to love your spouse, and to build relationship, to build trust, to get to know them. The odds are is you have a great marriage, and guess what? You probably won't what? Cheat on them. These are the two understandings of sin. If sin is just law, then all Jesus cares about is just don't break the rules. But if sin is about relationship, then he wants you to what? Don't break trust with me. And see, with relationship comes privileges, but also comes responsibility. You can't get, well, this? you could get married and say, hey, I trust you so much to be in my house, but I'm going to lock 
my cabinets and my closet and keep all my things away from you, right? I mean, you could do it that way. Could. But the way that relationship and trust works is that we make ourselves vulnerable. We offer privileges. There's intimacy and trust and relationship that we allow with this person that we don't have with other people, but there's responsibility. There is a chance to get hurt. Sin is about relationship. And so what happens here in the Garden of Eden, we see that the first sin that takes place is that there is a break in trust. There is a break in faithfulness. Now, the Old Testament Jews did not necessarily understand sin the way that we do. The word that they used was covenant. Specifically, God was always speaking to the prophets, and he wanted them to have what? Covenant faithfulness to him. The way that he always spoke to Israel was as if Israel was his bride. He wanted them to be faithful, to trust him, to obey him, not because, uh, because they feared him. Yeah, that's great. It's a good place to start. You know, it, uh-oh, she's in here. Um, my wife is great. <laughs> I was about to say something. I was scanning the audience. Like, okay, I don't think she's in here. We're good. Okay. We'll just say it as it is. I wouldn't want to cheat on here for lots of reasons. Well, one of them is she might go a little crazy. <laughs> she, she's Arnie's daughter, okay? So there you go. She's not the type who would take it quietly, like, oh, you hurt my family. Like, she's the type, like, you wouldn't want to stay in the same house the next day. So it's one thing to not cheat on God because you're afraid of repercussions. Another thing to not want to cheat on God because of what? You love him. When Jesus came, the new covenant, and again, we're going to open all this up in the series. In the new covenant, in Christ, we are not regulated by rules. We are not... He's not following us around anymore to kind of keep track of all the times that we crossed the line. Oh, see, you're in trouble for this. That's one spanking. With my kids, here's how we do it with my kids. This is terrible. We like add on spankings, right? So you're like, okay, well, you did that. That's one spank. Oh, you know, know, if you run away from me, that's two spankings. You know what I'm saying? Okay. If you back talk, oh, it's three now when I catch you. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure this is the right way to parent. <laughs> this is terrible. Okay, anyways. And so what happens here is that in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the old agreement, the old relationship, okay? In the old relationship, the way that we related to God, it was very much this way. If you cross a line here, here's what's going to happen. If you punch your brother, here's the punishment, okay? It, it, you get it. If you say that, 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 that foul word, you get soap in your mouth. Over here, it's almost like the way that we deal with teenagers, right? Here's keys to the car. (laughs) We're not there yet, okay? (laughs) We're not there yet. This license is a license to drive. It's not a license to crash. Right? But I'm giving you these keys because I, what, trust you. It's a different way of of relating. The one relationship, you expect the person to fail, okay? In the other relationship, you are expecting more out of them. What's so difficult about the way that we relate to God now and sin 
is that for all of us, we wish that we still had the law. Now again, I'll explain all this before. It would be a lot easier if God would just give me a list of things I could do and things I couldn't do. Honestly. What's so difficult is on this side of it, he has no list. He has two things he asks of me. Love him with everything and love everyone around me. Just tell me not to drink beer and, like, punch people, right? Like, just tell me, like, some things not to do. That's much easier. So you're saying I can't fake it anymore. Tell me that to be a good spouse means I don't cheat, you know, on my wife, that I don't beat her, that, I mean, I think I can do that. On good days. Come on, you're still back there. She, no. I wouldn't punch her for many reasons. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think she could take me, Jerry. You're right. Okay. So you're saying that even if I don't cheat on my spouse, and I don't beat her, and I don't whatever, okay, I don't abuse her, you're saying that I have to do more than that? You're saying that I actually intentionally have to love her. And, of course, to love her means what? To put her first. Like, really? Or, like, just an action? Because, like, an action would be great. I can open the door for her when she gets in the car. Close, you know. But you're saying, truly, in my heart, I have to wrestle every day to make this person more important than my wants, needs, dreams, desires. guys have your Bibles. We're going to kind of go to this passage here and kind of end here, I think. Uh, let's go to, uh, oh, my iPad did not update. I don't have the verse. That's okay. Let's go to a different one. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7. It's unbelievable. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7. Before we read this, understand the church, um, the church here at uh, Corinth, they, they're the only church who gets scolded for how they handle the Holy Spirit. They're the only church who love to party just a little too much. Their previous religions involved some pretty crazy things. So for them, they were over here before Christ, and for them to worship their gods, was to go to a temple and to, you know, indulge in prostitutes. And it was a spiritual experience. It's the idea that when they would have sex with these prostitutes, they would experience touching God. Now, you can all act holy in your actions, but intentions, men, is that a pretty eh, interesting idea? Come on. I'm not, oh, come on. I'm not saying you would do that. I'm just saying, look, you're a guy. Okay. They were told this is what God wanted. To them, this was worship. We're going to work with you guys, by the way, okay? Like, in five weeks, you're all going to be honest people. I promise. Okay. All right. Anyways, so what happened with them, this whole, this whole gospel about lordship, about following Jesus, selflessness, all this stuff, 
that was okay, but what they really liked was the Holy Spirit. They loved experience. And so they used to get wild in, in their services. So what they would do is, I mean, the, the, they were all about prophesying and, you know, the Holy Ghost goosebumps. And they loved communion because, of course, they had real wine. And what they loved to do was to get in small groups, and the rich people would have their table, and the poor people at their table, and they would get wasted. You guys are like, so there's still churches like this? <laughs> there are, actually. There are. You wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> there really are. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. We have wine today, by the way. No, okay. And so what was happening here is, in the context of all this, they loved the fact that there was no law anymore. They loved it. So you're saying we are free to enjoy life and enjoy God and to enjoy the Holy Spirit, to enjoy communion, all, all those kinds of things. And here's um, how the Apostle Paul starts his letter to them. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for your Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is how he's, he's opening his letter to them. He's, he's about to address the fact that they've been cheating on their wives, they've been getting wasted, they've been doing all this crazy stuff. He's about to address it, but he starts with hitting the heart of the matter. And so what he says here is he says that you will be kept blameless, meaning not held accountable for sin because of something. Because you've been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. You're what? Lord. Now, what's the word fellowship mean? Jake? Oh, where'd he go? Where'd Jake go? Okay, it means what? It means the deepest form of connection. The actual definition is social what? Social intercourse. Now, again, you can dislike that all you want. The idea is the deepest form of friendly, deep trust connection you can possibly have. So what Paul's saying is this. You will be kept from sin because of one thing. It's not because he's going to punish you or, you know, he's going to send you to hell. You will be kept from sin for this reason. If you would embrace your deepest level of relationship with your what? Your Lord. The way that we fight sin, the way that we avoid sin, the way that we deal with this weight of temptation all around us is by engaging, by focusing, by investing all of ourselves in the deepest relationship we can possibly have with Jesus. The way that I stay faithful to my wife is not by, you know, whenever I go to the mall with Victoria's Secret, just like walking by it like this, okay? I mean, sure, that might help if you're having trouble, okay? But the way that I stay faithful to my wife is by striving to strengthen my relationship with her, spending time with her, trusting her, opening up to her, listening to her, building relationship relationship, building trust and connection, understanding. The more that I have relationship with my wife, the less I will even be tempted by anything else but her. 
the deeper my relationship goes with this person, Jesus, the less I will be pulled away to any other thing. I could scare you all day long with hell, with judgment, with all these things. But the truth is this. It will only sting for a little while and then you will forget about it. I could beat you up all day long, talk about all the sinful desires every one of us has, all the ways that we sin every day. But the truth is, we are so crafty and cunning, it only takes a short time for us to ignore it. But if I tell you the only thing God asks of you, the only way out, the only way to fix your marriage, your life, everything in it, is to invest in knowing Jesus. You can't get away from that. He's not, he's not asking you to tithe. He's not asking you to fast. He's not asking you to pray more. Yes, all that will come. What he's saying is it must be a relationship or it's only a matter of time and those corn stalks are going to be growing up in your lawn. Trust me, I don't want those corn stalks. All right, would you guys stand with me? We're going to end this morning with communion.